Well, good morning, church. It's great to see you all here for worship this morning. How are we doing? Good. Y'all sounded beautiful this morning. Yeah. Thank you, uh, team, for leading us into the presence of God. All right. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss our kids now for Revolution Kids. We've got Trish back there waiting. I even think you have Miss Micah upstairs today, too. You guys are in for a treat this morning. So glad you guys are here. It's good to see you. All right, so we're continuing in our Advent uh, sermon series, teaching series this morning uh, about finding joy, continuing in our series on joy. And really in Advent, it is this time of waiting and, and preparation. It's an anticipation of the light that is coming into the world and into the darkness. But we want to focus on joy this year and cultivating joy, not as a way that we sort of ignore all of the heartbreaking things that are going on in the world. We're not turning a blind eye. We're not putting up our own blinders. We're not trying to ignore, and maybe some of the, the real um, heaviness you're carrying in this season as well. But we're talking about joy and a way to acknowledge that we can feel both lament and, and sorrow and joy uh, and, and grief um, and all of these things sort of all at once. And actually cultivating joy and, and talking about joy is a profound statement of faith and in hope of our future with Christ, of our future hope that Christ will return and set all things right. And so there's a way in which we can cultivate joy and, and find joy even in the midst of all these other things that we hold and carry. I have a church planting friend in Texas, actually, who says this, if we want to be about God's justice and mercy and love in the world, then we have to be rooted in God's joy. And I love that. Because in this in-between, as we wait, as we hope, as we long for the world to come, we know the church has work to do. We know that we've been sent on a mission to be vessels of the kind of hope and joy and love that is coming and is here in the kingdom of God. There is heaviness around us, to be sure. There is much to lament and to grieve. But if we want to be about the work of God's justice and mercy, we've got to be rooted first in God's joy. And so that's what this series is all about, ways that we can be rooted in joy this Advent even now. And so last week we talked about being rooted in joy or finding joy in the unexpected. And we're following you know, Luke chapters 1 through 2, these sort of really well-known, uh, famous passages that we read every Christmas but with the lens this year of how to find joy in, in this story, in the Christmas story, and then how we can cultivate it in our own lives today. So last week was finding joy in the unexpected. And this week, we're going to read from Luke 1, verses 26 through 45, and we're going to be finding joy in relationship. So Luke 1, verses 26 through 45, I'm going to read that for us now. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be according to me, sorry, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in the womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and we respond, thanks be to God. This is an episode in the Christmas story of Mary going to visit Elizabeth that is really one of my favorite parts. It's a really powerful part of the story, and it's tempting to just skip right over it because what comes right after this is the Song of Mary, the really famous, what we refer to as the Magnificat. And so it's it's tempting to sort of look at this whole chunk at once and you skip over the power of this meeting of Mary and Elizabeth. So we're going to get there, spoiler alert, next week. We're going right through Luke 1 to 2. So next week we will talk about the power of the Magnificat. But I didn't want to skip over this episode here. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary and shares with her this news that she will bear a son. Even though she's a virgin and she will name him Jesus. And this won't just be anyone, but he's going to be called the Son of God. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over this house of Jacob forever. And in his kingdom there will be no end. This is shocking news, to be sure. For young Mary, unwed, how can this be, she says. When you're talking about Mary here, you might expect that when God is going to be introducing the plan of redemption for the whole cosmos, I don't know, maybe the angel could have visited a king or a governor or someone well-known and famous, at least, at the very least, someone rich. You know, like with resources and clout and like a following. Like surely that person could have had more of an impact on all of creation than Mary. But God chose Mary. Young, unmarried, likely poor, from a peasant family, and from Nazareth. Did you catch that part? We know this story. We know this, Jesus of Nazareth. But do you you really remember what Nazareth was like? At this time, we, we need to know this. Nazareth was considered like a nobody town. 
insignificant. It's not even listed in the cities or places and like the regional registry. If you look at like the historians of the day, it's not even, it's not even listed. Probably had about 100 to 400 people kind of a farming, a farming town. There would have been people who were shepherds and laborers, farmers. They would have had to walk at least an hour to the larger city, Sepphoris. It's about four miles away, and that was the big cultural center. They say maybe about 30,000 population there, but they had markets and temples and a theater. The, that, that's the bigger town, the cultural center that people just even had to walk there to sell their goods. Nazareth was a nobody town. That's how it was considered in the day. Maybe the only reason you would have heard about Nazareth is because of kind of its uh, violent, bloody past. In history, it's, it's in reference to maybe a place of political unrest and of revolts against the Roman Empire. Lots of persecution and violence. So, for example, after the death of King Herod the Great, uh, the armory at, at Sepphoris there in the cultural center was robbed. And in response, probably blaming the Jewish folks or who knows who, who did it, but in response, the Romans crucified nearly 2,000 Jews. That might have been the only reason you would have known at the time of the town Nazareth. Oh, not, not great people, not doing great things, against the empire, violent. You might hear the words of the disciple Nathaniel to come, who when he hears about Jesus says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's how you should hear this. Mary of Nazareth? Are you kidding? And yet it's here that the angel appears and says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Favored? I mean, in just three short verses, Mary has quite the the sort of uh, transformation here. Right? She goes from sort of being troubled as to what this greeting could even mean. Like, are you messing with me here? I'm favored? Are you? Like, you look around. I picture her like looking over her shoulder being like, me? <laughs> are, are you sure? <laughs> o favored one? So she goes from sort of troubled by what this blessing or what this greeting could even mean to then asking questions. Yeah, but how? What you're saying does not make sense. But then to hearing in response to the witness of Gabriel who says, nothing will be impossible with God, you hear this response of Mary of acceptance, of saying, here I am. Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Quite the transformation in just a short three verses. And yet you have to imagine, even after she has accepted sort of this fate and said, okay, Lord, here I am, you have to imagine that this still was a very isolating experience for Mary, maybe even a lonely experience, one still marked by fear and uncertainty over what will happen next, uh, maybe uncertainty over, over what people will think of her after they find out this news, what will, be, what will become of her marriage, will her baby really be the one to reign over the house of Jacob forever? Even after she's accepted this, I have to imagine that she still had some questions and there was still some uncertainty and fear. And so what does she do next? Scripture says, in those days, Mary arose 
and went with haste into the hill country of Judah. Oh, that's okay. Spoiler alert. Y'all, she heads for the hills. It says she goes to the hill country of Judah. Mary heads for the hills. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) How many times have you been tempted to do that? How many times have you done that? (laughs) Oh, there we go. When something unexpected and scary and life-changing happens, you aren't sure if this is good news yet. (laughs) You aren't sure about what's going to happen next, and you just want to get out of there. You just want to head for the hills. But what's important here that we understand is that Mary doesn't go to escape her reality. She doesn't go to escape. She goes to meet with Elizabeth, her cousin, whom the angel has said is also expecting. And in her old age, which is what we talked about last week, Mary immediately knows, okay, that's also miraculous too. Why We need to get together. <laughs> if anyone in the whole entire world could understand what Mary is experiencing right now, it would be Elizabeth. So she goes to find courage and to find comfort in her relationship with Elizabeth. She goes to find courage and comfort. Some of you know part of my story um, about my call to ministry, but I remember that summer that I felt called to ministry finally in a way where I knew I had to do something about it. Like I had maybe heard a few inklings here and there, but I was like, meh. That's okay. Just brush that aside. But the summer actually knew that, okay, this is real, this is happening, and I've got to do something about it. Y'all, I was terrified. I was terrified. I had a spot at the UK College of Nursing the next fall. The letter had waited, was waiting there that summer on my dining room table. There's a whole host of things in that packet I was supposed to be responding to ahead of the fall semester, but it was there waiting. The plan was set. I didn't expect to have any sort of change and plan, this detour, not to change majors, definitely not to change schools, which I didn't do, but I thought I had to at the time. Didn't, wasn't prepared, wasn't planning to switch gears, and I was terrified about what this would look like, what job I would have one day, uh, what, what people would think. I was terrified. I was especially terrified to go home and tell my parents, <laughs> Very, you know, their expectations very much disrupted. What would they think? Would they be proud of me still? So I I remember I immediately, I was there at Camp Lucon. I I immediately turned to a trusted friend at camp, and I said, I think I'm feeling called to ministry, and I have to go home this weekend and tell my parents. Like, I just knew it. It was like Friday of the week. And I was like, I think this is happening, and I have to go home right now, and I have to tell my parents. That was 15 years ago. And the response that I got from my friend that day is still one that I remember. She was excited. She was overwhelmed and overjoyed for me. Uh, She was supportive. And y'all, she stopped right there in the hallway of our dorm, laid hands on me, and prayed for me. I knew who to turn to in that moment for courage and for comfort and for support. I wonder who that person is for you. In times of uncertainty, in times of fear, who have you turned to in that moment for comfort, for courage, 
dear friend, who gives you courage. Scripture says when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, who we know is John the Baptist, leaped in her womb. Later she says, my baby leapt for joy. So the main place that joy shows up in this passage is at the meeting of the mothers. The joy shows up in the meeting of these two mothers when her child leaps for joy. And it's Elizabeth who recognizes this sort of prophetic moment of joy. And I I think I need to go back, and I'm pretty sure that Elizabeth is the first one here in the Gospel of Luke who then identifies and names Jesus as my Lord. Did you catch that part? It's this prophetic moment of joy when the child within her womb leaps for joy, and she knows and, and connects and says, the presence of my Lord. It is the baby who responded. And who am I, she says, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to me in this moment? And the very first thing Elizabeth does after that is pronounce a blessing over Mary. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. It's the first thing Elizabeth does in response. You know, I think about this moment a lot because Elizabeth could have responded in lots of different ways. She hears this news from Mary, and she could have responded, I don't know, with jealousy? Wait a second. This is my time. <laughs> Finally, I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm expecting. This is, you're stealing my thunder. This is supposed to be about, you know, maybe about this. What about me? She could have responded with, with jealousy or feeling this maybe threat by Mary also sharing in this good news. She, should, she could have responded with, with certainty. I know what's going on here, making assumptions and, and judgments about why Mary has shown up here to her home. But instead, Elizabeth responds with humility and wonder and openness and joy. She's overjoyed at the news of her cousin. Maybe it's even sort of, you know, confirming again what the child that she is carrying will do to prepare the way for the one, the Lord, to come. Elizabeth responds with joy and blessing. And friends, this is the gift of good relationships in our life. They help us find joy. Good relationships help us find joy in life. The joy of shared experience, the joy of celebration, when things that we've been waiting for and praying for and hoping for finally come true. It's the sweetness of relationships among family and friends that can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, says Romans. Right, The joy of that shared life and community where we can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep because there's also comfort and courage and peace found there. This is how we were created. This is what we were meant for, to find joy in community of relationships of shared life together. But I know that's often easier said than done. We all know here that relationships are not always easy. They're not always marked by joy. They're not always healthy. They don't always 
live up to our expectations and our hopes and our needs, relationships are hard. And this time of year, I'm very well aware, when it's supposed to be this messaging all around us of time with family and friends that's jubilant and hopeful, some of us feel a sense of loss in that. Maybe because our family doesn't look like what we expected it to. Maybe because we've lost a loved one. And the absence of, of those things is, is, is very real. Relationships are not always easy. And many of them in our lives are, are not what we wish they could be. And so when I invite you, I want to invite you into just a moment of reflection about those relationships in your life that do help you cultivate joy. Who are the healthy relationships in your life? And are you investing in those? Are you investing in those? As we continue in this Advent season, are you investing in good, healthy relationships in your life? Ones that can actually rejoice with you, don't see your good news as a threat to their own happiness. Friends, that's not a healthy relationship if someone feels that way. Are you investing in those good relationships that can rejoice with you and weep with you and support you? And maybe a follow-up question, are you setting good boundaries? Because sometimes that's necessary. Even in relationships that we feel like are obligated, right, that we have to do this because of X, Y, and Z, are you setting good boundaries in that relationship to where it's not exhausting you emotionally and spiritually? To where you still have space in your life to invest in those healthier places that do bring joy and comfort and encouragement? Are you showing up for others in healthy ways? This is relationships are a two-way street, right? If you're not finding those places of joy and relationship in your life, well, where are, where are you offering that and cultivating it? And then are you, ta- oh, follow-up question to that, are you taking care of your own self in a way that you can actually show up for others in healthy ways? And what I mean by that is we've all got stuff that's gone on in our lives and stuff that we carry that maybe help us not cultivate or maybe keep us from cultivating healthy relationships. So are you taking care of your own stuff in a way that you can show up for someone else? Really, are you open to let people love you the way that you deserve and the way that you need? I found this uh, quote from another pastor friend this week that I thought was really uh, relevant to kind of cultivating this community. No one teaches us that community has to be built with our hands and our tender hearts and our precious time. No one breaks it all the way down. No one gives the tools. From the outside looking in, it can seem like community just happens for the lucky few. And I know because I've been there in my own life where it feels like everybody else around me has these good, healthy relationships, but not Not me, they must be the lucky ones. But it's actually those kind of relationships that bring joy that take work and they take vulnerability and they take courage and they take working through your own stuff in a way that you can be present to rejoice with someone else. And what makes these relationships so beautiful is that they take this kind of work, this kind of two-way relationship, right? Here's the truth, friends, this morning. You are worthy of love 
and you are worthy of the kind of relationships that bring lasting, hope-filled joy. And that's what we hope we're all about here at Revolution, proclaiming this truth, that you are a child of God, a person of worth, deserving of love and belonging and respect. Someone here this morning needs to hear that, and someone also this morning needs to hear that it's okay to let people help you and love you the way that God designed us to be in, re- in relationship and in community. That's what we try to be about here at Revolution, cultivating a community and relationships, healthy relationships that are marked by joy and are hoped for future with Christ. Mike is not here right now. She's upstairs with the kids. I was going to put her on the spot and say, hey, if this is something you're longing for in your life, these kind of healthy relationships, come see us. Daryl, Micah, me, we're here. We would love to help you navigate this so that you can be cultivating these kind of relationships marked by joy and support in your life. That's what we're all about on Wednesday nights at Celebrate Recovery, but something that Daryl and I can also walk with, walk you with and, and walk through that with you. You were created in the image of a God who is love and who is community and who, who is joy. You were made for these kind of relationships, and we want to help you find them. I love the greeting. The last note I'll, I'll kind of end on this morning. I, I love the greeting from the angel to Mary that says, Greetings. O favored one, the Lord is with you. And like I said earlier, you can imagine Mary from Nazareth being like, what? Looking over her shoulder, you know what? Are you sure you're talking to the right favored? No one ever in the whole world has ever called me favored. Mary doesn't understand. She doesn't get it. But the angel says, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Friends, this is the kind of scandal of the Christmas story. Yes, it's almost over. It is the final countdown. Yeah, that's so good. The only thing better, Jimmy, would have been if it was like a Christmas carol of a joy, you know? I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. That would have made my whole day. my favorite Christmas song. (laughs) You have some kind of final countdown going on for you right now. (laughs) The Christmas story is scandalous, (laughs) y'all. The scandal of the Christmas story is that God would go somewhere unexpected, so, so unexpected, so backwoods, so ordinary to invite someone like Mary into his plan of salvation. But that's the invitation that comes to all of us still today, to ordinary you and me. Now, Louisville is not quite the nobody town that we might think of in Nazareth, but the scandal of the Christmas story, the scandal of the incoming kingdom which we'll talk more about next week, is that it goes to the unexpected, not visited often, sort of upside down places of the world. Those without, those, those are those kind of the have-nots in our world. And it's up to us to not only humble ourselves to that point, but to have eyes to see that when the Holy Spirit bubbles up in those places. Right? To find joy 
and truth in those unexpected places. The kingdom of God breaks in anywhere someone like Mary believes these words. Greetings, O favored one. The kingdom of God breaks in anytime somebody believes that they are loved by God, even them, and that they are worthy of God's grace. They are worthy of a place of belonging. They are worthy, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your past is like, you are worthy of healthy relationships that bring you love and joy. Anywhere someone like Mary believes that God's grace and favor is for them and hears that song of love and responds with, yes, here I am, Lord. The kingdom of God breaks in anytime any one of us here today responds and says yes to this invitation to join this kingdom, to bring joy and hope and love and peace and welcome and inclusion and redemption to a very hurting world. The light is entering this darkness, and now we are invited in to carry that light into this very hurting world. We believe that God wants us, like Mary, to be a part of that. That's wild. That's crazy. And that's what we believe. God wants not the Herods and not the the kings and the governors and the famous people. God wants us. God wants the Marys and the shepherds and the lowly folks, the ordinary, you and me. Because you are a favored one. You are a loved one, and you are deserving of this kind of love and this kind of belonging. And you're also called. You're worthy, and you are called and deserving to experience this kind of joy in your life where Mary can say, here I am, Lord, and then run to the hills to her cousin Elizabeth and say, now help. Where are you finding those relationships of joy to proclaim these gospel truths today? And if you're not sure, and if you don't know, and if you need help, let's have coffee, and maybe that can be a moment of joy for you that day. I will sing the final countdown. Or I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. And we will find joy together in that moment. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. And we thank you just for the amazing, unexpected, almost inexplicable ways that, that you humble yourself to come to us and then invite us into this, this mission, to this kingdom. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's so backward from how our world works. And yet what, what a moment of profound joy and of hope that even we get to be included in this. God, speak to our hearts this morning and remind us of who we are and whose we are. And that in a season that can often be quite challenging, help us to believe that we are deserving of joy in our lives and that you want to provide us with the kind of relationships in our lives that can find joy and comfort in times of uncertainty. Give us the courage that we need to cultivate those and help us to know, speak to our hearts right now, If we are somebody that says, I need help with that, I desire that, I want that, how can I have healthier relationships in my life that reflect the love of God to me and to others? We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this gift, this gift of Jesus Christ that makes all of this possible. 
And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ.